0: Welcome to another episode of the Inquisitive Analyst. I'm your host, Marcus Udekang. It's the show where we chat about business analysis and project management issues and the challenges and triumphs within those fields. It's inspiring, informative, and very much inquisitive. My guest today is a transformation and business agility consultant, author, as well as keynote speaker, and the CEO of Rosetta Agile. She has spent many, many years finding ways to transform organizations, focusing on helping people thrive while their company financials also thrive. For her, it's all about building adaptive structures, shaping courageous cultures, while instilling practices for a thriving organization. She's recently published the second edition of her book, Cultivating Transformations, A Leader's Guide to Connecting the Soulful and Practical, which we will talk about today. So please help me welcome to today's show, joining us from New Jersey, Jardina London. Welcome, Jardina. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Marcus. Well, thank you for joining us. We could probably start off by asking what motivated you to enter the business agility field?
1: Oh, yeah. So I started my career as a programmer. I majored in math, computer science, and I started as a programmer because it's so controllable. You know, what you, if you make a mistake, the computer knows if you do it right, it works usually, right? Most of the time. And I wanted things to be like really cut and dried like that. But what I found out as we started to do bigger and bigger systems is that the problem wasn't in the technology most of the time. The problem was in between the people, between, as technologists say, between the computer and the chair. Um, So I really got interested in why can't a group of really, really smart technologists get things done to meet their deadlines and satisfy the business need. And that's when I started to get into agile because that was popular in software. But then even beyond that, it still wasn't software. Even when we got software working well and delivering on time timelines, it still wasn't the software. So I got just kept searching for like, why is it so hard to get large groups of people to work together, or even small groups of people to work together. And that's what brought me to business agility, which is just that fundamental search for how can we make organizations work better. Hmm, Interesting.
0: I never tried the programming side. And for very good reasons why. But um, it certainly is challenging, because sometimes the people who are hardcore programmers don't communicate as well as those who are in leadership roles. So I know what you mean.
1: I I mean, it's super fun. I ran a software company for 12 years early in my career um, because as a small nimble uh, boutique firm, we were able to go into these big companies and create software quickly, especially with emerging technologies where they didn't have an embedded platform. So we were very successful in that way, but it was my ever long search for why organizations have so much trouble. Okay, interesting.
0: Now you've got two sides, you know, you've got this sort of analytical side, uh, all about say financial results, uh, the structure, and then you've got the, what you might call a soft side where you talk about soulfulness. So how
1: how do you connect these two things? Yeah, I think my big hypothesis is that the the world seems to think you've got the soft side, you've got the team building and the feel good and the HRE type stuff. And then you have like the real business over here that's hard numbers, analytics, data. And I just don't think those two things are different. I think that those two things are one and the same and need to be much closer integrated. So my goal is when I look at business practices, for example, uh, and let's like pick something really dull and, and hard and analytical like budgeting. And how can we weave soulfulness into that? Because there is a soulful element to a soft side, to everything, and vice versa. There's a reason that we want people to be happy at work. It's nice, we love it, it makes us feel good, but also it also helps us earn more money, right? It gives us better results, depending on what your business is. It could be a nonprofit. But I think that these two things are so interlinked and we keep separating them.
0: It's all about improving business results while making people happy at the same time, I would think. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's not two different things.
0: Yeah. And like you say, energy comes from the spirit of the people. So you have to raise their spirits.
1: Yeah, right. And ultimately, really, why would you want to go and work if you're not happy? I mean, we say that the we want the, the result of our work to be some monetary gain. But, if, but the people that work there are the people in the community or are the people in society. So if society is not happy, ultimately, what's the point of having the financial result
0: yeah right
1: so it's we're all this it's all the same it's all connected it's not two different things not money for them but who cares if you're miserable we're all in the society together
0: yeah true very much and your book uh talks about cultivating organizations with practical with productive outcomes and Mm -hmm. like i mentioned earlier the title of the book is cultivating transformations a leader's guide to connecting the soulful and practical so let's start off by asking, why did you write the book?
1: I wrote the book because this is a lot of what I do for a living with my clients is now they don't buy, they don't buy the soulful, they they buy the practical, but then they end up getting a side order of soulful with it, whether or not they bargained for it and they end up, you know, you get what you need. Right. Um, so I, so somebody had encouraged me to just kind of write down some of the stuff that I do. And I resisted and resisted. And then one day it just kind of came out. So I wrote it really to just kind of, because there was a request, but as I was writing it, I realized this is that companion guide for people in this really hard job because transformation work, a lot of any kind of change agent work. It's a really hard job because you've got a like, especially if you're internal, you've got a boss or you've got a client who's paying you, who may be resistant to the things you're doing. Like you're challenging the status quo and you're in the status quo. So it's a really hard job. A lot of people can't stay in the job. A lot of people get fired from the job. So I thought, well, let's make a companion guide, sort of a survival guide for this really tough job.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that because when I started uh, in IT many years ago, uh, the idea of staying in a company for, say, five years was relatively acceptable. Mm-hmm. and we had some people who were retiring, like I worked for IBM initially, and there were people retiring from IBM after 40 years of work, which you just don't see anymore. Now, these days, 18 months is probably the max length of time for people to stay in an IT job, a year and a half. So it would be nice, wow. I think, if, if IT companies were able to lengthen that, um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're committed more they probably want to stick around and, and that's all part of culture. It's all about having a healthy team culture, right?
1: Absolutely. In addition, in
0: addition to making more money.
1: Absolutely, right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot now with, um, of talk about job fluidity and you know, owning, it has been around for a while, sort of owning your career and not having the company own it for you. But you stay where, where, you're gro- where there's growth and development for you. Yeah,
0: no, true. And if you like the people you work with, even if the salary is maybe a bit less, I'd much rather stay here than have trouble over there with a higher salary. Happiness
1: yeah. is important.
0: Happiness is important. Now you talk about three lenses in
1: your book. Maybe you can explain a bit about those. Sure. So the book is broken up into three parts. The first part is, we say the, the me, um, it's, about, it's about self-management, self-leadership, and then the we, and then the system. So because we start with the me, because really as a leader, as a transformation leader, you are influencing everything you touch. So if you don't have yourself in order (laughs) and you're not grounded and you're not, you know, you affect everything you do. And then the we is how do we bring people together? And then the system is really putting those processes and systems and structures in place so that it's beyond who's who, beyond the who, and sort of starts to run by itself and influence itself.
0: Fantastic. Um, yeah when you were saying that I was just thinking the Midas touch the soulful touch that's what you've got so now um, in talking about connecting processes
1: Mm -hmm. to the way that
0: we feel uh, the results that we get uh, so that we we nourish our souls um, while providing those productive outcomes you'd say why why do you choose to use the word soulful what's so key about that
1: A lot of people ask me about that word and ask me, is it about religion? Is it about, is it touchy-feely? I don't even think it's really that touchy-feely, but I use the word soulful. I chose that word over the word happiness because you're not always going to be happy, right? But at least I can be soulful. So if I lost, say I lost a pet, um, I'm not going to be happy when I come into work that day, but it would be nice if I could be soulful and share that and feel like I'm, like I can be open about that and with the people I work with. So that's soulfulness. Sometimes you are sad, but you're in your inte- you're sort of grounded in, in your integrity, in your whatever emotion you're having. Happiness is one emotion. There's multiple emotions, but I want to be able to lean into all of them. Um, you know, maybe not the, maybe not the misery as much. Um, so I chose that word. And so what it really means is it's sort of the ethos. It's that being who we really are deeply inside. So we, there's a lot of people say, bring happiness to work, bring yourself to work, but it's even beyond myself. Mm. It's like my, it's like my soulfulness. I I want to be who I am and lean into my, lean into who I, my authenticity.
0: Yeah. Authenticity is always good. Now you mentioned me, you know, in the me lens, you write about self-awareness. What, uh, why, why is the me uh, so important?
1: Yeah as a transformation lead or any leader really, but in transformation in particular, because you're making change. So you're you're a part of the equation, right? You influence everything around you. So um, I think the biggest learning, and I'll share this with you and your audience here, a friend of mine says, how you show up matters. And really the self-awareness piece is knowing how you show up because it matters. So the example I give, because I wasn't aware of this for well most of my career, if you walk into a meeting and you say nothing, <laughs> you had an effect on that meeting. And because people think like, it doesn't matter if I'm late, it doesn't matter. I didn't say anything. So it, I don't matter in here, but it matters. The expression on your face, the energy you bring, the fact that you're there at all, it all matters. So just being completely self-aware of how we're showing up and how we're impacting the other people and the system is the biggest learning, I think, of uh, of the me lens. That's curious. It's a, um,
0: curious that you say that because, you know, it's all about knowing how much of an impact you as an individual have, um, whether you say nothing or whether you ask questions. So just to take a quote from you, walking into situations ready to engage, ready to be open, ready to be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always told if you go into a meeting, try to at least have one or two questions minimum. Because if you don't speak up, people will think that you're not contributing. Um, and I know that we should listen just as much as we should speak or listen more than we should speak. That's why we have two ears and only one mouth. Um, but it's always good once in a while to make a contribution because then it, it feels that you're engaging yourself and you're you're part of that group Um, otherwise you might people might feel that you're an outsider
1: Mm. or um, you know you're not making um, an impact yeah and i think i love the idea of asking questions Um, i remember you know years ago they would tell project managers actually because i was in a pmo group and they would say project managers make sure you say something in the meeting so that they that they know we're adding value and honestly it was first of all it was so much pressure just to like, oh my gosh, say something smart, say something smart. Um, but also you're adding value by adding value, not by trying to, like it's that whole trying to pretend you're adding value. You're adding value because you have value. And, and sometimes that might be value that you're adding by stepping back. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, that might true. be okay.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, you got me thinking on so many uh, avenues now. Um, so, uh, for example, we're, uh how can we be more soulful? How can we bring more soulfulness to to our work, in addition to some of the things that we've talked about, especially as process owners?
1: Mm-hmm. Great question. I have a little free downloadable called um, the Five Steps to Soul. So we'll put that in the show notes okay. and the fi- and it's in the book also. The Five Steps to Soul is about looking at some of these processes and starting with the question. Why, what was the soulful purpose of this in the first place? So when I think about some of the project management processes, there's so many that we've had over the years um, and that people, you know, people pushed back and resist and they don't like it. And they feel like they're filling out a form or a template. When you have a process like that, like when we talked about budgeting or we, or, you know, a, a project plan, or I need you to give me your status report, status report. Let's use that example. What was a soulful purpose of the status report to begin with? Like taking it back. There's a reason we did it. We didn't do it to make people miserable. Why are we doing it? And trying to bring it back to that. And then the next question is, and I won't take you through all five. You can read that in the book. But the next one is, then, then what, is crushing, what is soul crushing about it? So where did we lose our path to the soulful purpose that we ori- originally had for this? So like for status reports, for example, you might say the soulful purpose was so that we can all share and cross-pollinate and help each other right? And and, escal- and so that, you know, up and down and across the hierarchy, right? Um, where did it lose its soulfulness? Where did, where did it become soul crushing? So maybe you would say, um, because nothing happened from week to week, and I feel like I'm making stuff up, or because I feel like um, I'm grilled on this, or I don't have time to do it, whatever the reason is that it became soul crushing. And then you follow the rest of the steps to peel back, um, well, how can we bring that soulfulness back in? What would it take to bring it back to a soulful practice?
0: How do we inspire our, our organizations to thrive? And mm-hmm. we as individuals, how can we contribute to that? Exactly. Um, which brings me to my favorite topic. And uh, project managers, analysts of any sort, were asked to be accountable without authority. And you've heard the saying, assume authority. Just assume authority, sometimes they say. So how do we get things done without authority?
1: And transformation leads have the same exact problem a lot of times. And also, like I said, you're in the system. You're part of the system. So it's hard. You're not outside the system. Like me as a consultant, I'm sort of outside the system. But oftentimes we're in the system. So I love that. I hadn't heard the phrase assume authority, but that is the key is you have you have to have the assumption it's not assume authority. It's assume that there is, um, that people want this done. So with let me give the transformation lead example, and we can take it back to the project management example, um, or we can find one. With a, with a transformation lead, a lot of times people say, how do we get buy-in? How do we get the executives to buy-in? Well, they hired you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would say the same thing to a project manager, right? Like people are on this project team. They asked you to help keep it organized and keep things on track you have to kind of have the assumption that they want to get the work done, that there is some incentive to get the work done beyond you. Right. So the job is really to help people stay organized and accountable the way that they already want to, (laughs) that's the assume authority. So it's sort of assume that people want you to help project manage them (laughs) (laughs) rather than that they don't want to, and that they're that you have to track them down and herd them. Yeah so you're you're so essentially you're enabling and, and doing them and, and serving them by helping it make it easy for them to get their work done on time and on budget
0: yeah, I also think of it in terms of uh, if I'm on a project, I have a project manager who's running it um, they need to do things to get the job done correct mm-hmm. but they probably also maybe want to. Um, maybe get a different position some other time. So if I help them become a better leader, then it helps me,
1: you know, it's a win-win, right? Sure. Um, And the other thing I would add to that too is on just back to what we were saying about, you know, you're helping them, you're not making them do something.
0: mm -hmm. Um,
1: The language is so key there. So I had a conversation with a client the other day and what was happening was they kept coming to the team and saying, you know the executives need this you need to do this here's what we need to do and same outcome right but we switch the language just ever so slightly to say you know here's the goal how can i help you all get there yeah would this template help you if i if you filled out this template like if i put some structure in place if i if i put some put a checklist and you filled it in would that help you rather than saying here's a template fill it out it's a it's the same template but the language is key. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, they need to find a reason why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, apart from I'm here for a job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to make it a job, to make it a an engaging job, you need to mm-hmm. have purpose.
1: Yeah. And well, that, purpose- that I'm here for a job is that is gone after the pandemic, right? With oh, the yeah. great resignation yeah. and quiet quitting and all this stuff. Like the I'm here for a job. I I don't know that that's longer no, any longer an argument.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely more competitive, certainly than it was pre-pandemic, no doubt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So if you emphasize, yes, you know, you know inside you that you're here for me, but that me has to resonate with, with the people you're working with. It has to give value to the company that that you're working with, to the project right. manager that you're working with, the coworkers right. that you're working with, right. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I think we can base it on the assumption that they're aligned to company purpose and goals, right? But the specifics of the day-to-day are still you know, autonomy, mastery, and purpose, as Dan Pink says, right? So you can still have, I can still manage, I can still manage the project and give people autonomy by saying, how can I help you instead of here's what you need to do?
0: <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Giving, giving the workers autonomy. That's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. So if you have one piece of advice you'd give our audience to be more effective today, what would that be?
1: The piece of advice I give for transformation leaders, and I think it applies with project managers too, but let's talk about it is look for where the pain is and help people heal the pain. And this is this is really advice in terms of like change management and you know, dealing with resistance, because if you're helping. People overcome the challenges, the frustration, the pain, whatever it is that they're having, then they will probably appreciate that <laughs> and do and and be willing to do, take your suggestion or work with you on it, collaborate with you. Mm-hmm. Um the what I would say is when you try to impose things that is addressing some pain that you might see, but they're not feeling, or mm-hmm. some future pain that you see coming, or something that you think could be better, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. They don't care because they're not feeling it. So yeah. the way to sort of mobilize people and, and get people on board and aligned is by dealing, by addressing directly the pain that they're feeling mm-hmm.
0: yeah. pain, or,
1: you know, I, I say pain, but, but maybe it's, maybe they have no pain and it's all about opportunity. That's fantastic too, but not trying to impose things that is a problem that they don't see or care about. Yeah. And in project true. management, the same thing, right? Like, so coming and this is, you know, coming and asking for a status report when people are way over allocated is you're causing me more pain. You're not helping me with my pain of overallocation.
0: Yeah. You're here to, to help me solve problems, not to create them. Right.
1: So help me get aligned better on my capacity. And then, you know, then I can come to you later and ask for a status report. And and now you're, now you have the capacity for it. And now also you like me because I helped you manage your capacity. (laughs)
0: I think being a transformation leader is certainly a tough job, but it, and it takes skill, there's no doubt, right? So if you're, say, the healer, if you're trying to implement things at the same time, you've got to have uh, skills at both of those.
1: You know, I think that there's some um, sort of sentiment nowadays that we don't like politics and we don't like talk about power and politics and diplomacy. Let, maybe diplomacy is a better word, but project management too right i mean it takes a lot of diplomacy to be a good project manager to be a good transformation leader it's so important to be able to say the truth and mm-hmm. and, and let be really clear about the truth and give clear feedback um but with diplomacy because mm-hmm. otherwise nobody can hear you mm-hmm. so i think a key competency for project managers and transformation leads as well is diplomacy mm-hmm. and it's yeah. not you know sometimes i hear people say i say i'm the truth teller i say what needs to be said love it but you have to say it at the right time in the way that it can be heard. Otherwise they ignore you and they kick you out and it does nobody any good. Yeah. It's not just what you say, but how you say it. How it's you a, say it? it and it. when you say it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. Knowing when to say it. So if, um, if the audience wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so?
1: Um, you can always find me on LinkedIn and I have lots of posts but um, you can check out my book, and you can check out the book website, which is cultivatingtransformations.com, and then um, my other business website is rosettaagile.com. Okay. So we can put those in the show notes, and then of course, Jardina London is all things me. <laughs> it's all, it's all the things I think that maybe don't have to do with my business or my book.
0: All right, splendid. Well, we'll certainly leave the links to all these um, on the YouTube uh, on the YouTube video, YouTube recording. Mm-hmm. So just to let our audience know, once again, the book is Cultivating Transformations, A Leader's Guide to Connecting the Soulful and the Practical. Well, thank you for being on the show, Jardine. I certainly appreciate it. It's
1: my pleasure. I loved being here. This was fun, Marcus. Thank
0: you. Yeah, you're very welcome. And for our audience, remember, it's all about healing the pain. So have yourself a great day. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. And now a word from our sponsors. The Lewis Institute provides an enterprise project management program that does more than just train PMs. It helps support them from the CEO level on down. These courses help certify project leaders and prepare them to pass the PMP exam.